And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello, welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You are listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Meg, your host, as always, and a national staff writer at The Athletic covering the NWSL and the U.S. Women's National Team. Challenge Cup is almost a wrap, but we're going in a slightly different direction today as new executive director of the NWSL Players Association, Megan Burke, joins the show to share what she can on the work that's really just beginning to negotiate a collective bargaining agreement in the NWSL and how labor is going to help create a paradigm for the league. Now, as always, before we get started, your reminder that you can support this podcast and also get all of our NWSL and U.S. Women's National Team coverage at The Athletic, plus everything else we have to offer on the site and app by signing up for a new subscription at theathletic.com slash full-time. Right now, when you visit theathletic.com slash full-time, you can start your new subscription for $3.99 a month. We've got some news for you, a little quick version of this, but of course, the schedule is out. I am free. Obviously, there is a lot to talk about here, but a large part of my week has really been the schedule. So there is a link for you to my news story on everything that we are talking about when we talk about the schedule, including a couple of games that I've circled to watch, got some thoughts on the Olympic break, that is, uh, or a lack of an Olympic break, to be more accurate. Um, That link is free to read. But also, if you want even more, I did do an Instagram Live with Santa Herrera, obviously friend of the pod, right after the schedule dropped, which is still up on her profile to watch, or if you just want to listen to it, it's just honestly the two of us <laughs> sitting behind our laptops and, and talking about soccer. Also happening on Tuesday, we got a trade between Gotham FC and OL Reign with Allie Long headed back to the East Coast. Uh, Gotham sent $80,000 in allocation money and Gotham FC's twenty. 20- 22 second round NWSL draft pick plus Gotham FC and Rain FC are going to swap places in the discovery ranking order, which is a thing that does actually exist. I promise, though, I don't think the league will ever actually share that order with us, but just know that they swap places. The Super League is still mostly dead, but more details on Champions League for the women's side have come in including some new numbers when it comes to finances for investment into the game. 24 million euros are in the mix now with UEFA committing to redistribute 23% of that total 24 million via solidarity payments to non-participating clubs in each of the European leagues represented in Champions League play. This sounds dry, I know. But any solidarity payments have to be reinvested specifically in the development of women's club football. Definitely a good thing. All right, let's bring in Megan Burke. Now, she was announced as the new executive director of the NWSL Players Association on April 5th. She technically started April 1st, so she really is only a few weeks into the new job, which also did immediately kick off with the beginning of a collective bargaining agreement with the league and the first one for the NWSL. So this is very much an ongoing work in progress. But she's also served as the PA's general counsel since 2017 and then began work as their chief operating officer in November 2020 before the latest and and far, far more major promotion into a full-time role this month. I'm just going to let you tell her. (laughs) I'm just going to let her tell you the rest. Here we go. All right. So, I mean, I just honestly wanted to start with you and just say, like, you know, you're now what a couple of weeks max into this job. So I feel like mm-hmm. <laughs> let's let's just start with you introducing yourself to folks because 
you know, this is we, we have typically seen players kind of leading this organization. So you are kind of this new person to a lot of folks. So, mm-hmm. you know, let's start. Why, why did you take the job with NWSL PA? Yes. Great question. Well, first of all, Meg, thank you for having me and allowing me an opportunity to introduce myself. So um, I'm a former player uh, turned lawyer. I've been practicing law for the past 10 years or so in Asheville, North Carolina, uh, where my wife and three kids call home. Um, We had moved here. Actually, we met here during my playing career back in 2004, and I'd always planned to come back here. Um, My playing career sort of, (laughs) I feel like it sort of matches the story of women's soccer to some extent. Um, I'm always careful to actually count the number of teams that folded after I played for them. I don't want that to be any kind of omen at all. Um, so I played in the W League. Uh, during college, I played for the Fort Collins Force. I went to St. Louis U, played there. I was born and raised in St. Louis, um, which is, of course, a big soccer town. Uh, then I played for the Memphis Mercury in the W League for two seasons. Uh, had a blast. It was a great team. Um, we were. I was in college as the WSA launched on the heels of the 99 World Cup, and so aspired to play in the WSA and was drafted uh, out of college to come to North Carolina. That's actually how I moved here. Um, You know, all the teams in the WSA were generally in big cities like Chicago, New York, San Francisco. And this team, the Carolina Courage drafted me and I was like, where's Carrie, North Carolina, what is this? Um, You know, obviously it's in the triangle. Um, So I coached at, at Duke for a hot minute after that season was over. Of course, the league folded. Uh, played in Asheville on a W League team here. Um, I had a couple of hilarious, probably not fit for being on the record experiences trying to get a visa in England to play there and ended up playing for Bristol Rovers uh, in what was then the Women's English Premier League. Um, Came back and played uh, for River Cities FC in the WPSL, uh, also a team that was a a really great group, um, had a really good experience and also folded after two seasons. Jeff Cooper was our owner and he's just uh, a delightful person. He, I, I came to work for Jeff um, partly cause I was just trying to, you know, as you're playing in these, for these teams, you, you have side hustles, right? Like I mm-hmm. donated plasma uh, for groceries <laughs> once and, you know, I had no health insurance for three years. I did the whole thing. And yeah. uh, Jeff offered me a great job, kind of, you know, a precursor to what I'm doing now. I, I was sort of, I, I was helping him. He was um, pursuing a major league soccer expansion team at the time in the 2005 to seven timeframe. And so I kind of joked that I was like the soccer corner of Jeff's brain. Um, and this thing came along called, called WSII. Tommy Antonucci was leading it. And I was like, Jeff, I know you want an MLS team, but shouldn't you do a WPS team? And so that led to St. Louis Athletica. He was all in. Um, you know, I knew I still wanted to play and go to law school. So I left um, after that launched and played for the Boston Renegades in the W League. And then uh, during law school, um, had aspired to play in WPS in 2009, but had a spinal fusion surgery that put me out for the year. And I came back to play for the Chicago Red Stars and then eventually uh, Sky Blue. I'm getting used to saying Gotham FC. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, sweet rebrand. Um, but yeah, I played for them in 2010. Uh, and in 2010, helped organize the WPS Players Union. Um, you know, I studied labor law in law school. I was interested in in working in that space. But of course, when I moved to North Carolina, it's a it's a so-called right to work state. So there wasn't a lot of labor law to be done here in North Carolina. Um, so I came back to Asheville and basically launched a small firm, small town practice, um, mostly doing criminal defense and civil rights litigation, a bunch of other small town kind of things, um, representing the campaign for Southern Equality which is an LGBTQIA advocacy organization that my wife actually is the executive director of and launched. We kind of did it together uh, on a shoestring budget and it's kind of grown into what it is now. Um, So I was, you know, in 2017, I was just doing my thing, practicing law. Um, You know, obviously a huge fan of NWSL. Um, And Yael Averbush called me one afternoon. I hadn't spoken with her in like seven years since we played together. And she goes, you know, I, I'm I'm a player through and through. I mean, you know, even though I, I haven't played a, a serious game in a long time, it's still kind of in your blood and in your heart. And so she called and she's like, listen, we did this thing. We organized a players association. Uh, and I don't think Yell would mind me telling the story. She's like, so we're going to, you know, we're it's a big deal. The players have come together. And they were really organized by the time she called me. It was really incredible. And she said, so we're going to issue a press release. And uh, we kind of just want to use your your office. Like, could you could I put your phone number down in the press release? 
And I said, sure, no problem. When's this happening? She's like, oh, within the hour. And, and me being me, I was just like, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, no problem. So that kind of started my relationship with the PA back in 17. And since then, you know, it's sort of uh, my role has been just to be a, in the background, um, supporting the players and advisor to the players um, and just being there for whatever they needed. I never in my wildest dreams in, in all sincerity thought that it would lead to a full-time position here in, in the role that I'm in now, which I really do consider my dream job. Um, I just was in it because I believe in it. Uh, you know, I, I believe in workers' rights. I believe in the game. I, I love NWSL. And uh, we'd kind of talked about whether this might work out. And I just, soccer's broken my heart enough times that I wasn't quite in that space to take it on. And then, you know, we fundraise. We're in a position now where they could bring me on full-time. And there's nothing like a pandemic to make you really rethink what you're doing with your life. And, you know, I, I think it's, I've, I've said this recently, I, I really do think it's a testament to how much I believe in the sustainability and viability of NWSL that I basically blew up what was a very successful <laughs> law practice and happy lawyer life in a small town to go do this full time. Uh, and I, I haven't looked back since. I, yeah, it's it's definitely, I mean, it it feels like, you know, as someone who's basically been around the league since day one and obviously had a lot of experience with WPS, but also going back to WSA, right? Like it does feel like we're in such a different time. And to also have this, again, feel so much stronger even after going through a pandemic, right? Like the fact that the NWSL feels like it's on completely different footing right now compared to even, I mean, I remember doing kind of like a state of the league story in 2019 and everyone's kind of like, it feels okay. I, I mean, but even that off season, we were getting questions that were like, we have doubts. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. we have doubts about the the league itself. It could shut down at any time. And now here in 2021, yeah. we're just kind of like, that seems ridiculous. I really do think we're past that. I think, you know, players like me who have had their heart broken have a little bit of PTSD from, you know, the phone calls we got about the WSA went under, the WPS went under, your team went under, been relocated. Um, I think it, that's healthy for us to know our history. And that's one of the things I preach with our players is I want our players to know our own history um, because there has been institutional memory, institutional successes that have been lost each time something like that happened. But on the flip side, I mean, can you point to another example where um, a business came out of the pandemic stronger than it went into it? And I really do believe NWSL um, has managed to pull that off. Yeah. And I mean, the league is still obviously facing some of these challenges in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, we had a relocation this offseason. We're we're still kind of figuring some of these things out as yeah. we go along in terms of, you know, Kansas City had lost their team. It goes to Utah, but then all of a sudden it comes back to Kansas City. So it is going to be really interesting of having that memory, that institutional mm-hmm. successes that did work in Kansas City. And what can you build on there? Because it's it is not the first bite at the apple of right. professional women's soccer in Kansas City and and trying to, you know, there might be value in starting from scratch, but also knowing exactly what happened the first time and what didn't work, what did work. Like none of that information is bad. I'm a very big fan of <laughs> yes. know where you came from because yes. it, it has been really interesting to me to think about how much more I think about WUSA right now mm, because I think it is really yeah. influencing a lot of thought processes and especially as we're seeing former players come in as owners, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, exactly. you know, the Julie Foudy's and, and people who really did try to shape and build in that first version are now being put in positions of power for this league. Right. That's right. That, so. That's exactly right, Meg. I mean, it kind of speaks to our history, right? Like how committed former players are to the growth of the game and what we're pulling off now is you are seeing players, you know, I'm, I'm 40. There are players, um, who are older than me, who are coming back in as owners and doing things. But there's players that are my age and younger who are getting back into the game. Uh, it still blows my mind that like Barney is still playing. We're the same age, you know, um, she's just immortal. But the rest of us mere mortals um, <laughs> yeah. have since moved on. <laughs> Everyone who's and, not Nicole Barnhart and Formiga, yeah, right? <laughs> right. Oh my gosh, Formiga. <laughs> she's, yeah. I know my wife looked at me the other day because Boo played in Chicago. You know, we played at the same time and Actually, it was a funny, uh, we were doing fitness and of course, like, you know, classic, like I'm just trying to like hang, you know, and, and I'm really 
hauling it to try to keep up uh, on these cones. And Fu was just like running backwards and like whistling. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, this is like, can you stop mocking me? Like, I'm really, can you look like you're trying? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Jasmine looked at me and was like, um, is she like, how old is Formiga? I'm like, at this point, I don't even know. Like, I just know she's <laughs> older than me and she's still yeah. doing it. Yeah. Uh, what a gift to the game that we have players I know. like her. I, I yeah. mean, starting in a Champions League match at 43 is defensive midfield. Like, just anyway, we could, we, I'm sure we could go on a long I, Formiga yeah. <laughs> digression, totally. but we'll. Fan, yeah, stand her all day long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. One of the big things that I really wanted to talk to you about was just you know, this is kind of 2020 was supposed to be the big year of women's soccer, right? And now, yes, it was to a lot of extents, but 2021 is obviously, we still have this U.S. Women's National Team lawsuit happening in the background, which which still takes up a lot of my attention. But, you know, the CBA negotiation is going to be happening on the national team side. And now we also have a CBA negotiation happening at the NWSL level as well. And this is the first time this is happening within the NWSL. So the thing that I wanted to start with is just kind of like setting this baseline mm-hmm. of the idea of how labor is going to shape the NWSL and the voice of labor and the voice of the players is going to shape the league moving forward because I think we haven't seen it in the NWSL before. And so right. even just having a better understanding of how it could potentially change the NWSL is personally even helpful for me. Right. Absolutely. Um, happy to, to talk about that. So, you know, the players, I think it's first of all important to, to start from the beginning, which is that players organize this players association. So current, then current players in NWSL, that wasn't someone from the outside coming in, telling players what's in their best interests. It wasn't even really labor organizers coming in. It was then current players, largely led by Yale. Um, coming together and creating a players association to serve as, as kind of one voice of all the players. Um, and I think, you know, when you look at the labor, obviously, you know, it would be fun to talk all day long about American, the labor landscape. And actually my younger brother, Ryan, um, Burke, he works in this space and has, you know, he was largely credited with beating back the right to work bill in Missouri a few years ago and worked for the AFL CIO. So like, you know, people like my brother are in the trenches fighting this fight, you know, we've seen labor union membership declined since the seventies, not coincidentally, while the wage gap and the, you know, difference between the has and has not has increased. Um, and, you know, the 1% and that sort of thing. But what we're seeing in the sports landscape is players associations um, play a little bit of a different role. You know, there is kind of this car- carve out in a sense where you see labor unions are very common in professional sports leagues. You see PFAs the world over. Um, and I think, there are a lot of reasons why players organize players associations, but I think the big one is that your health and welfare and what you're, what you're doing on a day-to-day basis is drastically impacted by what rules the league creates and what standards there are. And I think that's something that um, is sort of a shared goal we actually have with the league is to create more uniform standards and have the player experience in Portland be not dissimilar to what it is in any other team around the league. Um, And so you know, I really feel that there is a role to play for the Players Association that is not necessarily in the tr- typical adversarial labor management relationship. And we've talked a little bit about that. Um, but I also think, you know, to answer your question, we've kind of been thinking about the need for a CBA since we formed, because that is kind of the central purpose of a labor union is to negotiate a CBA. Um, but it was really critical um, from the players' perspective, perspective and from those of us kind of advising players um, that we really get our internal operations up and running. We create an infrastructure to do this and do it well. It's not enough to just pick a few player reps and then go negotiate a CBA. We have been very thoughtful and intentional about our approach, um, not just to our relationship with the league, but to how we've created our players associations. We have a constitution and bylaws. We've recently run um, elections where we needed to fill seats. We have, in fact, I think, Hopefully by the time this podcast airs, you know, we'll have been able to put out a press release, uh, you know, sharing that Tori Huster was reelected president, mm-hmm. Rachel Corsi, vice president, Emily Menges, treasurer, um, Nicole Barnhart, secret- uh, secretary. 
Um, and so, you know, we have officers with a lot of experience now. We have two player representatives in each market at each team, and they've chosen an alternate player representative. We've constituted a bargaining committee with more than two dozen players on it, both player representatives and players who are just very engaged and interested in being part of this process. Um, we've been thinking about this and preparing for this CBA really for since we started. Um, and we are now, we feel, in kind of a well-oiled machine and ready to go um, on the CBA. And, and we hope that that's something that actually, to some extent, it's a benefit to the league for us to be organized, right? You wanna work with a, you wanna negotiate with a partner on the other side that really has clarity over what they want and what their goals are in the process. And so we've been very thoughtful and intentional about our approach. Um, and I've been kind of involved in that in the background, um, but took over as executive director I think literally on day one of CBA <laughs> negotiations. <laughs> so I take no credit, a major credit to Brooke LV, my predecessor, who was really the engine behind this process and got us. I mean, the PA wouldn't be where it is uh, today without Brooke's hard work over the last year. So, um, you know, a lot of people in the background have been getting us to this place. Uh, and we feel like this is the time for us to pursue a CBA. Yeah, I mean, one other part of this too, and I, I remember, you know, I've, I've obviously spoken with both Yael and Brooke in terms of, the PA and kind of its thought processes and how everything is kind of working behind the scenes. And one of the things that I was always really struck by is kind of this, I guess I would call it patience and understanding of like the league also kind of needs to figure its own deal out first, right? Like we need mm -hmm. to get some structure on both sides of this. And we understand that the NWCL is this growing entity, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why I'm really kind of struck by the timing of CBA negotiations, because now, again, you know, based on what we were first talking about, the league does feel like it is in this very different position of we've got broadcast partners, sponsorships mm -hmm. are, are going up like the mm -hmm. television viewer, like everything is kind of like trending in that right direction. So is mm -hmm. is this really the, the shift from that patient approach of like we're going to give NWSL time to like make sure that it's on real stable footing so that we can have this conversation? Or is it like, uh, <laughs> things are kind of <laughs> happening without us right now. We've got to start talking. Well, I mean, I guess the honest answer is a little bit of both, but yeah. definitely more so the former. Um, you know, as you know, the U.S. Women's National Team Players Association, uh, through allocation of players who play in our league, and they have a CBA. And there's, you know, parts of their CBA that address um, the NWSL experience and playing conditions. And so there, there has been sort of a container for that um, over the past few years. And, you know, as U.S. soccer exits as the manager, it's clearly the right time for the NWSL Players Association now to step in and say, OK, we need to look at, you know, the whole picture here, not just this small part of it. Um, you know, one thing that I'll certainly say and, and uh you know, I, I really, one of the most valuable um, experiences I've had as a new ED is my relationship with Becca Ruth. It's just been um, such a wonderful sounding board and source of support. And so we're very closely aligned and have, you know, immense respect uh, for what the U.S. women, of course, have done, not just on the field, but off the field around raising consciousness around equal pay. Um, and I think they're, they're wor you know, worth everything. They deserve everything they get. Um, but it's important to point out that roughly 75% of players in NWSL are making in the ballpark of 32 grand or less, about a third are making the minimum salary of 22 grand. And so while we certainly see the value of U.S. women playing in, in this league and we hope they come back and continue to elevate its profile, 75% of the players are at the bottom end of the salary scale. And the league has really made it to its ninth year on, on their backs, on the backs of these wages. And so... You know, we really feel like as the league is ready to explode, because I think it is. I mean, you know, just look at the marketing and the branding and yeah. the shirts and the partners who are coming in. It really is poised to take off. And we're ready to have a seat at the table to make sure that we're looking out for those 75 percent of players who've brought the league to this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I will always be really struck by, you know, when the league doubled the minimum salary. And this was when I think it was... 7,500 and they doubled it to 15,000. But then also you had this whole middle range of players that were already making 15,000 who didn't get that adjustment. And so right. I feel like we lost this kind of wave of players who had come in day one, 2013, right? And they're just mm -hmm. kind of like scraping along and then the league brings up the whole bottom, but the middle isn't adjusted at the same time. That's right. And folks who have been here the whole time are going, uh, not that we're complaining about the the bottom coming right. up, but like, 
I'm still <laughs> paying. I'm still the, getting paid right. fifteen grand a year. Like I, I have groceries that I need to buy. Yes. <laughs> like, right. Well, this what you're pointing out is exactly the reason that I think the league welcomes you know the PA being uh, a really formidable presence in this conversation because by no fault of anyone, we all have our lane that we're in. We all have our vantage point, right? And so. If you're the commissioner of the league, if you're the director of marketing, if you're the social media person, like you have your way of looking at an operation or a question or an issue or a policy, um, and we have ours. And so we bring a perspective that I don't think um, is necessarily on the radar of all those other actors in that question, which is, to your point, how is this going to affect that player sitting in the middle of the pack? Or how is this going to affect that player who may not sign her standard player agreement till the third or fourth week of preseason? Or you know, you can point to any number of examples where it's just not on the radar. And when we're able to kind of weigh in, speak out about it, um, I am finding that we we have a very receptive audience in the league to hear us out and try to be proactive and address those issues. I really, really do believe that, that the league um, is working hard to get things right and they need our feedback on these questions to be able to address it. Yeah, I, w- I was hoping, I know... You know, I, I've lived through a, a Lisa Barrett press conference where folks are trying to like <laughs> pry details of CBA negotiations out of her. And she's right. like, I'm not going to comment. And we're like, we know, but we kind of have to ask the question. But maybe you would. You know, she's very <laughs> yeah. good. Yes. Like, can, can we back you into something here? But, you know, obviously the actual kind of matter of the discussions is, is off the table. And I do understand mm-hmm. that. But in terms of the process, you. like you've said, you've got a, a negotiation committee already in place it seems like players Mm -hmm. are super bought in yes just in terms of you know i think the question that i asked lisa on her call was just do we have a sense of time (laughs) like where (laughs) where are like obviously you know the your first day is first day of cba negotiations Mm -hmm. but just from your kind of viewpoint of the process so far a, has it been a good beginning? But B, do we do we think that this is something that is going to operate on a timeline that is going to work for both sides of, of the process? Well, obviously, I hope so. Um, so to try to, I'll do my best to answer this question to the best of my abilities without being terribly evasive and giving anything away. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, I listen to Lisa Baird's, you know, responses and I'm like, well, that's good. Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> where it's just kind of like that. Well, or, yeah. The non-answer answer, right. Yeah. Um, I need to master that, I'm sure. So, uh, you know, what I'll say is that we feel on our side, we got off to a very strong start. You know, we have, like I said, been working on this um, really since we, since our inception, thinking about what we would want. But ultimately, uh, we conducted a number of player surveys um, last season, really trying to gauge player priorities, like what's important to you and get a sense of where players are at. Some of it is predictable and some you're surprised by. It's things to my, you know, the point I made earlier, you know, as someone who's not been in the league um, and hasn't played since 2010, there are things that just aren't going to be on my radar because it's not the focus of my attention. And so that was a really helpful process for us to really understand what players need and want. you know, we met in D.C. for a couple of days. We had um, players present the entire time. Uh, at one point, I think we had close to 15 players, of course, appearing by Zoom for COVID reasons. But, um, you know, very engaged, paying attention, taking notes. We've had a number of sessions, meetings leading up to that and, and debriefing sessions since. Um, you know, we feel we've put everything out on the table and we're ready to meet again. Um I know that the league needs time to digest information and kind of figure out uh, a response. But I will say that um, I think there's a vested interest on both sides in trying to work this out sometime this year. <laughs> you know, I think <laughs> what I'll say is I, and that's uh, probably as specific an answer as I can give you. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we understand it's a negotiation um, and there's a little bit of a dance to that, of course. Um, so I, I do expect that it will be a process. Uh, we, are represented by outstanding labor counsel. Deb Willig is the managing partner at Willig, Williams and Davidson. And all of the players and I just had, we've put an immense amount of trust and confidence in her. Um, she's been in the labor movement for more than 40 years. I mean, this is, this is what, this is all she does. Um, she's made it, you know, you can read about her bio and her law firm, uh, Jessica Caggiano and um, Larry Goodson former goalkeeper, by the way. Um, they're just wonderful lawyers, wonderful people. And of course, I know lawyers, I am one. And, you know, I, the players selected them. And I, every day since I've felt even better about our choice. They're just really, really excellent. Um, and what they would say, I think, is like, typically in a CBA negotiation, 
you've had a, a contract for a while and you're picking out, you know, what are the issues that need to be hashed out this round? We're starting from scratch. I mean, this is a first contract. And I think what's important for, for everyone to know really and understand is that uh, in a first contract, you're sort of creating a paradigm and then you're figuring out what's important within the paradigm. And so that's going to take some time. And I think we certainly acknowledge that on our side um, while being eager to kind of get done with it and get on with the business of playing soccer and running the league. Yeah. I mean, but also at the same time, you don't want to have a CBA get signed mm-hmm. and then sit with it for, you know, three, four seasons and then be like, okay, well, we kind of, <laughs> I don't know. For example, you don't want to reopen it three times in a year. Just the yeah. Example, right? yeah. Yeah. You know, sure. <laughs> just in terms right. of, you know, I, I think one of the good things is that thanks to the U S women's national team PA, but also the lawsuit, like, you know, I have probably read the CBA for the U.S. Women's National Team <laughs> too many times at this point, but it is now kind of, you know, before I think we didn't always have like a huge amount of visibility to it, right? Like mm-hmm. I remember, you know, even when the EEOC complaint was filed back in 2016 and we were kind of working with these vague things or old documents and not the current documents. So we could kind right. of say like, well, we knew some things about this CBA, but the current one were not entirely clear, right? But obviously it's, it's more than just compensation that gets worked into these CBAs. There's a lot that goes into it. And just from your point of view, between the the U.S. Women's National Team one, but also maybe looking even at other leagues, like MLS is obviously something that you can look to, but WNBA made a lot of headlines for their CBA negotiations this last round. So where, where are you maybe looking to for some of these things of, okay, if we get to set a paradigm where's the inspiration that we can look to is because for me it like WNBA is kind of yes potentially that one right I would agree with that (laughs) (laughs) yes WNBA uh for certain you know we internally we have sort of like a half jokingly called a bible which is like has all these CBAs in it and it's like you know that (laughs) thick um and I would say you know yeah it's been helpful to look for inspiration uh, at what, of course, the U.S. women started out with, but then expanding on that with the WNBA, um, you know, you got to look at issues like maternity leave and parental leave and issues that are specific um, to our league. Uh, we also have looked at what has MLS been doing for the past 25 years and trying to understand their paradigm. But then, you know, it's easy to look to American sports, but the reality is we are a global sport and we are competing with Europe. I think there's no secret about that. Mm -hmm. And so um, we don't necessarily want to do what soccer was doing in 2001. Um, This is the year 2021. I think women's soccer is the future. And so we want to be looking at what the future holds, not what has happened historically and how to be competitive on the global stage and specifically how to be competitive with Europe. Yeah. I mean, and, and these are going to be two words that I'm going to throw at you that you're probably just going to laugh and be like, of course you are. But (laughs) I think free agency is a concept that has really been floating around just in terms of, okay, (laughs) NWSL, like, I I think everyone understands that NWSL has kind of had this path of, of growth that makes sense to keep it sustainable, to keep it going. But then Mm -hmm. at some point you kind of have to be like, okay, fly, like the cage doors fly, we're good. And I think that's kind of been the kind of bigger picture of, okay, if we're looking at, you know, the growth of the game in England right at the moment, because I think that is kind of fundamentally now where everyone mm-hmm. is looking and going, okay, the, the talent attraction yeah. is there now, right? And it's not just Americans who are going there. I mean, news today came of uh, Bunny Shaw potentially going to Manchester City, mm-hmm. right? Like they are also attracting international talent. And, and mm-hmm. part of the appeal is that players could have control mm-hmm. <laughs> over their own careers which is a a wild concept maybe (laughs) Uh (laughs) uh-huh yep yeah (laughs) (laughs) so you know i don't i don't want to like put you on the hook here but just in terms of you know when i asked you that question about how labor can potentially shape this league like it's that kind of level of concept that we're talking about though right yeah i mean it's it's helping us out the paradigm really Right. Um, You know, I've said before and I'll say it again. I mean, I I think that truly the measure of the league's sustainability and longevity is measured by playing careers and the longevity and sustainability of playing careers. And so 
you know, when we see players like Barney playing at 39, you see Karen Bardsley playing at 36, the secret of goalkeepers, by the way. Um, <laughs> for, you know, you see for me, you know, when you see <laughs> yeah. players playing into their 30s, 40s, 50s, um, you know, that's maybe a little extreme. Like that's the, that's you know the Tom that, Brady level, I guess. Right? Yeah, like. exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, you know, then you see like, that's kind of the measure of is, is this pathway in this league sustainable? Um, and I think we're starting to see that, but really we need to be concerned with the, the sanctity of a contract, you know, stability of a playing career, longevity of a playing career, which implicates all of the health and safety issues that, we're certainly going to be dogged about, um, you know, CBA is designed to focus on on-field performance and health and safety issues. And that's kind of what we've been really latched on to, which implicates a number of other topics you might not readily think of as health and safety. But um, that's what I hope for for our players is to have really long, really satisfying careers in NWSL specifically. Yeah, I mean, when you bring up health and safety, though, I think about, you know, we did the the U.S. Women's National Team roundtable last summer and I asked players, like, do you feel mentally, emotionally safe in NWSL venues? There was the mm-hmm. new policy put into place for harassment. Um, mm-hmm. That kind of stuff could also potentially Absolutely. be on the table, right? Just in terms, no you doubt. know, obviously it's more than just like a maternity policy. It is mm-hmm. like safety is a much larger concept than just like if I walk Absolutely. onto the field. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. And, and I'll say, you know, um, specifically with regard to the anti-harassment policy for a safe work environment. You know, that's, for example, a topic we might have addressed in a CBA, but it was clear that um, based on player experiences, like what you're citing, um, it was imperative that we really work to improve the playing experience specifically in that area. And so uh, in collaboration with the Black Women's Players Collective, the U.S. Women's National Team Players Association, and just individual players, you know, we put together a proposal for the league that they largely adopted. Um, and so, you know, I think if my day one was on a Monday, the policy was in place on a Wednesday. So, you know, that should tell you how important that is to us. Yeah. I, and you bring up the, the Black Women Players Collective. You know, I, I think <laughs> there's always a question for Lisa uh, Baird in terms mm-hmm. of where the league is at in supporting them she right. she does kind of frame it as a discussion of okay well we have the players association and then mm-hmm. it's kind of not necessarily on that same level i think there is direct communication but there is kind of the sense of like this is a player thing versus a mm-hmm. league thing and so in terms of the pa's support of the collective right. what has what have you taken away from your first couple of weeks on the job and then also what do you see that will work you know for 2021 Yeah, no, I love that question. So I think to kind of explain the structural part of it that you just, you started your question with, which is, so the BWPC is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We are a labor union, 501c5 labor union. And so we are designated under federal law as the exclusive bargaining representative of all NWSL players. Um, And that's, we were chosen by the players back in 2017, voluntarily recognized. And there are federal laws that um, kind of govern that relationship. And so Lisa Baird's right that she has to bargain with us and no one else over terms and conditions of employment. Um, And so I will share with you, I mean, I'm a white executive director. Um, I absolutely, I've spent the past 10 years standing up in courtrooms, um, you know, with people who are accused of crimes or facing uh, life in a cage and, you know, are disproportionately young black men specifically. so I've spent time in the space of understanding uh, implicit uh, bias and institutional racism as it relates to that area. But I have no idea what it's like um, to be a black player in this league. I know that the Black Women's Players Collective does, though. And so I feel it's my obligation and duty to listen. Um, I have you know, been in contact with the BWPC. And what I've said to them is the same thing I'll say to you, which is, they have no, they have no reason to just uh, hear my statements or you know give me their trust and know that the PA is going to go out and fight for them. I want to earn their trust and I want to earn um, a close relationship and alliance with the BWPC through our actions, not through a bunch of statements or tweets or whatever. Um, there's real substantive work that needs to be done uh, in the league, on ourselves, in the world, and I'm wholeheartedly all in, committed to that. Um, 
and in my approach and philosophy to this is going to be to center and amplify black voices when it comes to the playing experience in NWSL. That's where I'm just so grateful to the BWPC for not only, you know, for existing, for, for being in our league, uh, to, for organizing, but for speaking out on these issues, um, because I will be turning to Midge Purse and the BWPC frequently, I hope to hear um, perspective and guidance and direction on, on what needs to be done uh, to combat racism and do the work of anti-racism. Yeah. I mean, it does, it seems like obviously the lines of communication are open, but it also does seem like, you know, I feel like we've already, (laughs) the season started and we already hit some stumbling blocks kind of right off the bat. Right. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of actually then getting, okay, oh, there is this policy and you know so like the communication externally doesn't always necessarily match the communication internally which mm-hmm. ultimately I do think is the more important part especially when you are talking about players who might act- actively be in harm's way right when right. it comes to that safety issue but right just in terms of you know I think 2021 is going to be a long season for for regular season but just is there kind of that regular like, is there a monthly call between everyone? Like, what is the kind of communication that might be happening? Or is it still kind of like everyone just is on uh, an endless email chain at this point? No, I mean, it, between the BWPC and the Players the Association. Yeah, yeah, no. Look, we're working really hard on fostering that relationship. Um, and partly out of respect for that, I'm not really inclined to get into how frequently we're in touch or whatever. Because to my earlier point, um, you know, I'm not doing it because I want any kind of credit from fans or social media praise it's because the work matters. And so I really do. Uh, I would like for you to ask that question of the BWPC and find out how we've done, because I think that's the measure. It's not how I describe it. Yeah, that's that's definitely fair. All right. In terms of. OK, we've got CBA negotiations going on. What else from a PA point of view do you think people should maybe be keeping an eye out for? Or is it just kind of like all hands on deck for CBA right at the moment. And then we kind of hit things as they come up or is there, you know, like NWSLPA has dropped merch in the past. Obviously mm-hmm. there is kind of the, the fundraising part of it that goes on, but what else is in the works for, for yeah. right now? Well, since you re- reference it, well, first of all, I'm wearing our goal five tees <laughs> together. We win shirt. I thought today would be a good day to wear it. Um, right. You know, that's an example of a partnership with a, you know, swag uh, company and they do really good work. I'd be remiss not to mention that you can donate to the Players Association uh, at nwslplayers.com. We are actively fundraising, um, you know, for things like uh, pursuing our CBA and and staffing up our organization. Um, really, the CBA is is a major major focus. Um, that is certainly what we've prioritized for 2021. Um, you know, we're developing a strategic plan um, for the PA long term. One of the things that is kind of in the pipeline is, um, you know, we have players who kind of circling back to the earlier topic are very engaged around civil rights issues and human rights issues. I always feel a little queasy as a lawyer about the social justice phrase. I know that it it works, but, um, you know, really what it comes down to is just recognizing uh, the fullness of people's humanity and doing that not only just in our day-to-day lives, but as athletes um, ourselves and as teammates and um, people with relationships to fans. And so there are a number of issues in that kind of category that we're working on. Um, You know, part of this is I'm in my first month on the job. And so, you know, it's important to me that we set up processes for this to be done well. I don't want to just, you know, dangle the shiny object out there like, look at this, you know, nice thing that we're doing. (laughs) It needs to be substantive, right? And to to do that, it's going to take some time and some hard work. And what I can say is that our players are are committed. I mean, you know, I'd say most days of most weeks since I've started, there's been an idea or a question or a thought coming from a player or a player representative kind of in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so that absolutely is going to be a top priority for us. Right. Just in terms of, I guess, the way that the system has been set up, right? There, There's the teams, the player reps, the overall board, but just in terms of, I guess the the actual engagement from players via do, do you feel like the system that has been built so far even before you really formally came in is a good way of having this stuff kind of rise up to the top of the food chain? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So part of what we've done, I mean, this is kind of in the weeds, boring <laughs> arcane stuff that may, uh, you may lose a few listeners when I get into this, <laughs> but, and I apologize for that. But, you know, part of being an, I, I'm a nerd, like, you know, yes, I'm a foreign player and athlete, but I, I'm a super big nerd. And so I came in and was like, you know, one of the top priorities is rewriting bylaws and just making them cleaner and easier to follow and making a few tweaks here and there. Um, we revised our dues checkoff authorization. That's the form that players sign to a, it's an administrative convenience that a manager or an employer um, will provide to a union to collect dues. And so, you know, we've been sending those out again through our player representatives. And I'm proud to report that we have, I, I actually meant, you know what, Meg, I meant to calculate the exact percentage. That's how big of a nerd I am before <laughs> coming on this podcast. It is easily over 90%. And really, it's probably more more like over 95% of players who are active members in good standing um, with our players association. We have a high level of engagement. We did preseason meetings. You know, I met with every team over Zoom. Zoom, as you know, is awkward in terms of trying to <laughs> engage and create back and forth. Right. Um, it's a lot of me talking at players. But I, as far as I can tell, it was helpful and, and went well. I look forward to a day when I can just sit down with people in person um, and go to each of the markets. But, um, you know, so we did that. We did our dues checkoff authorizations. We ran elections where we had to. So we, you know, our governance structure is very sound. I would say, uh, I guess it was about a week ago, we finalized our alternate representatives. So we've got, you know, from the top, our officers, board of four, we've got uh, a board of representatives that has 30 people on it, 20 player representatives with voting uh, rights under the LMRDA, the federal law that governs how we operate. We are a democratic organization. <laughs> yeah. And that's the, you know, the, the easy way to describe it is we're like a mini democracy, um, truly. And, you know, players uh, can bring ideas forward. And if it's sort of if it's sort of the classic marketplace of ideas, if it's an idea that uh, players are really receptive to, then the majority votes for it. And that's what we do. Um, so we've just been getting things like that up and running. Um, and of course, there's some other things we're doing uh, with an eye towards fundraising and long-term sustainability that we're working on. Uh, I don't want to spoil any other ideas we have because we're they're still in development, but I'm really excited about a couple of things that maybe we can talk about later on in the season. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it has been really funny for me even to take this job, like how much time I spend thinking about like governance stuff and like I have I have read U.S. soccer bylaws <laughs> like <laughs> this is the kind of stuff where it's like I understand why people start to drift a little bit but I'm also right. just like but fundamentally this is what everything is kind of built exactly on right. and this it's is really where important yeah yeah so like yes I get it and also you know again I very much like to joke I am not a lawyer but having <laughs> read a lot of <laughs> financial reports and bylaws and legal fi yes. like i i do feel like over the past two years i have really gotten a new appreciation of how important this stuff is even if it yeah. is not necessarily the most attractive stuff to write or talk about but that's this right. is this is what keeps everything running that's right thank you for seeing that uh you know i'll say you're only one uh, viewing of my cousin Vinny away from being able to practice law. I'm telling you everything <laughs> okay. you need to know about the practice of law is in my cousin Vinny. All right. I'll, I'll just keep that. That's what I'll send to my bosses and be like, okay, well, I'm ready. <laughs> I have, <laughs> this is my honorary law degree via my cousin Vinny and also every close. single Friday night, every other, yeah, <laughs> thousand page dump of legal filing documents, which I yes. at least have a small reprieve from. So, yes, <laughs> you know, that's right. just a normal, it was just like, it was a guarantee that if I had like poured myself a glass of bourbon on a Friday night, and then like half an hour it, it, later, yeah. the, the type pacer of bourbon matters out. too. If it's like yeah. a Basil Hayden or something or a bullet, yeah, you know that it's going to get dumped on you. <laughs> yeah. And it would just be like, nice. oh, okay, well, that can just sit for a little while longer. And we'll just... We'll just hold yes. on to that one for a reward at 3 a.m. <laughs> well, you know, I will say even long before I knew I was coming into this role, you know, I've been a fan of your podcast and and I appreciate the hard work you put into that kind of coverage. I mean, that that level of journalism um, for our sport and our league is is deeply appreciated, certainly by the likes of me. So thank you, Meg. Yeah, I mean, my my fifth grade speed reading class really coming in handy for <laughs> like, that's actually the trick. It's just like trying to figure out what document is important and then yes. going for it. So, See, you know, fine in law school. That's exactly what it's about. <laughs> All right. How about we wrap up with I know that we've already talked about, you know, NWSL players, but if you could tell folks where to follow you, but also where to follow 
everything that goes on for the Players Association. I think that would be perfect. Yeah, well, so, you know, our website, nwslplayers.com, uh, is a cool little little thing to check out, especially to donate. Um, we do have a Twitter handle uh, at nwslplayers, I believe it is, and then an Instagram. I will confess that uh, social media is not a space where I spend a lot of time. Uh, we, we could, you know, that's probably something we need to address is having a more robust social media presence. I think sometimes fans are looking to hear from us, and we're probably not super quick on that just because it's not, you know, with everything else we're working on, we're kind of focused on substance right now. Um, someday we will get a little better on our social handles, but for now it's, you know, just a Twitter, uh, NWSL players, Twitter, uh, handle that you can follow, uh, and Instagram. And, and that's usually where like with the goal five t-shirts, we'll promote things like that. And a few other things in the pipeline where Instagram and Twitter might be handy to see what we're up to. So thank you mean you, you are not personally handling like a TikTok I, account? No. <laughs> that would really be horrifying for everyone involved. <laughs> I mean, same, same. I only signed up for TikTok after Portland announced it and they were like, Crystal Dunn content. And I was like, all right, you got me. In. Right. I think I remember listening to that episode and I was like, should I, I be like, on TikTok? Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> it's like my other brother Shane is like he's this is his world and he knows me very well and I was like should I be on TikTok? He's like no, you really. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> I'm not gonna put anything out there. It's just like, solely for yeah. if Crystal Dunn has some chicken content, <laughs> I would like to know about it as soon as possible. Yeah. So everything else, absolutely. I just like assume it will surface on Twitter at some point, and I spend too much time on there. So I'm just like it's right. fine. I'll I'll see it eventually <laughs> if it's truly important. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Uh, we are name twins, so it's always the fun part. Of... I know. Thank you, Meg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but thank you for the time. I like. Yeah. I personally, I think that you know, understanding the role of the CBA, especially from an NWL point of view. Like again, we we have that good sense of kind of how the U.S. one U.S. national team one has been working, and and mm-hmm. to now get this other part of it. So to have you walk us through it right now, even though it is not necessarily in a spot where a lot <laughs> can be shared, but still having that yeah. context, I think, is really good timing. Well, I appreciate that, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to come on and, and hang out with you for a little bit. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, Meg. Appreciate it. Thank you again to Megan for her time. And just speaking for me, it is all helpful context as we try to report, honestly, on both sides of the CBA, whether obviously substance stuff is going to be kind of thin on the ground, but the process, what people are thinking about the role of this union and the PA when it comes to the NWSL, it's all very helpful. All right, one more thing and kind of a time-sensitive one for you here, but this Saturday, Tony from NWSL Analytica is going to be on Zoom for many hours doing some panels, including a giant NWSL review, a look at the U.S. Women's National Team Olympic roster, what he is calling a masterclass in video analysis, plus an hour on Latin American women's soccer. There's a ton here. Tickets are only between $20 and $40 for the whole afternoon of panels. I'm definitely signed up because I do fully expect to learn things from this myself. There is a link in the show notes if you'd like to attend. I do highly recommend it. I, I honestly can't wait for this. I might not be watching all of it live. This is my one day off. I try to <laughs> try to hold on to that. But I am really looking forward to taking some notes, getting a, a little Vlaco's notebook experience out of this day of panels. All right. As always, the home for the show is at fulltimepod.com. You can find links to all of the major podcast platforms. And again, if you are enjoying the show, as always, your reminder that ratings and reviews make a difference. My name is Meg Linehan, and you have been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Meg Linehan and my work at The Athletic. Yes, I know I have to say my name a lot in that sentence. But hey, Full Time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. From The Athletic, I'm Meg Linehan, and thank you for listening. <laughs>